previously on one in six. He's still played in a semi-pro league, playing only in home games for the Wilkes-Barre Barons of the Eastern Basketball League. But just like 10 years earlier, when he considered attending dental school at the University of Buffalo over beginning his pro basketball journey in Philadelphia, Costello couldn't remain away from the NBA for very long. Costello was lured back to the 76ers in 1966, and they promptly went on to win a then-league-high 68 games, a record that was smashed five seasons later by the Los Angeles Lakers. Those 76ers went on to defeat the Boston Celtics during what was Bill Russell's first year as a player head coach and put an end to an eight-year dynasty. The 76ers won their first title in Philadelphia by beating the San Francisco Warriors in the 1967 NBA Finals. For his part, though, Costello watched from the sidelines. He had torn ligaments in his knee earlier in the season, but still managed to somehow play brief minutes during the 76ers' playoff run. Costello was finally a winner, but he didn't win. He was the NBA's oldest active player at 36 years old for the 1967-68 season, but he wouldn't see the year out. On December 11th, 1967, playing the waning moments of the game that ended a 76 win, Costello tore his Achilles tendon. That didn't matter to him, though. What mattered to him was stopping a fast break from the Baltimore Bulls. Costello struggled getting back up after tearing his Achilles as Bulls players were in past. 76ers head coach Alex Hamm screamed for Costello to stay down and for the game to be stopped. Twenty-minute podcast. Real quick, wanted to kind of catch everybody up on the news of the pod, and I don't know if everybody got to catch it. It kind of loses a little bit in transition. Uh, was kind of playing Jordan's uh, track on that, but the gauntlet has been thrown down. Now the one and six stuff. I've been sworn to secrecy on that for. What seems like five years, but probably nine months or a year or something like that. But the game done changed. The game done changed, and you, you, like so, if you listen to that podcast, you hear them kind of whispering at stuff. And so we've got a little bit. This is 100% from my side. Those guys could care less. But at whatever the time is, I'm sure they'll explain more. I know they're going to explain more. I've been really excited, but I want to talk about content and. I don't want to come off grandiose, but I just want to talk real quick about what's missing from content as far as I can tell. Now, the internet is a great big place. I'm sure there's outstanding YouTube channels and outstanding feeds and outstanding people making outstanding points. What it seems to me, though, well, a couple things, right? So... Front of the pod, um, Riley Feldman, this is probably two months ago, sent me a video that was circulating and kind of bopped around a little bit about the 2000, 2001, 2002 bucks right around there, right? The George Carl bucks. And um, matter of fact, you know what? I'll, I'll find a little clip for that right now. The 2001 Milwaukee Bucks came out of nowhere. Milwaukee hadn't seriously contended in over a decade, and they opened that season looking even worse than usual. 
hitting a 3-9 and nine record around Thanksgiving 2000. Coach George Carl shredded his players, privately and in the press. He called them irresponsible millionaire crybabies. Soon thereafter, things turned for the better. Why? It wasn't because GM Ernie Grunfeld made some big midseason move. He'd already invested plenty of owner-slash-senator-slash-department store magnate Herb Cole's money to cement this core. It was just that these guys clicked. They figured it out. The 01 Bucks began with Glenn Big Dog Robinson. The Bucks' number one pick in 1994 weathered some tough seasons in Milwaukee, but led their turnaround season by scoring more than ever and by meeting Carl's challenge to play a more well-rounded game. Robinson had another rising all-star by his side. 25-year-old Ray Allen already ranked among the game's best shooters, with potential to become the next great NBA two-guard. So perhaps you're wondering what my problem could possibly be with that. This is by whatever, see, company or a channel called Secret Base with 1.26 million subscribers. This has 668,000 views. And it's um, nicely produced. Um, nice enough produced. You got graphs. You got the zoom ins and zoom outs of still shots and quotes highlighted and artfully kind of done in purple and green and all that kind of stuff. But this is... It's a Wikipedia article mass-produced and it's basically again not bad i watched the whole thing obviously it reminded me some stuff i forgot about but that's almost the best case scenario like that's pretty good like i enjoyed watching that but like we can do better than just somebody giving some company giving our story back to us in my opinion and certainly in um Mr. Tresky and Mr. McGee's opinion. Not that we're collaborating on any of this stuff, I want to be clear. But just what they're doing is kind of a little bit more along those lines. But just just to me, just kind of the idea, I just prefer a point of view. Um, I, nowhere in that video do you find a point of view. You have quotes of what other people said because that team was kind of combustible. You have what Mason said complaining about the jump shooters and you have what happened with Carl and you have the, this Carl situation, the situation with Peyton later, you have all this stuff. But I guess what I'm saying is, and I've probably said this before, like I could just start doing that about Manchester United or whatever. Like I could just start making, I could start doing it about the Canadians or whatever, some other here, you know, or, or, you know, pick a sport that I don't watch and have never watched. Like anyone can do that. So, I had that in my brain. I had that in my brain for a while. And again, like I, I don't have five million takes. I got like a side. Everybody who listens to this podcast, you know, I got a good, good twenty takes. I got some stuff I want to say. I have some point of view on, on some things. And so the idea of the basketball is beautiful project, as I currently conceive it, as I daydream about it, is just I'd like to have some point of view personality stuff. That's not just either people who don't know but are really good at presenting stuff or people who really know 
but can't articulate anything and aren't excessively online either. So I feel that there's a market inefficiency for that kind of stuff right now. Now, obviously everything you do you hope will blow up. This is not about blowing up. Nothing I ever did has done have done with any of this stuff has ever made any money. Uh, other than t-shirts to TonyWorld.com. Thank you very much. But it's just kind of stuff I'd like out there. Right? So, so Feldman sends me this video. Again, pretty good video. But just cookie cutter nothing, right? And then I was listening to... So Ethan Strauss has this guy on who's apparently some big deal on YouTube. And maybe I'll get a... I can got a minute. Maybe I'll get an excerpt of that too right now. Because... Seemed like a really nice guy. I talked about how he got away from, like, didn't follow sports except for eight years ago, and but beat his addiction and just got into being this YouTube thing. And let me find an excerpt of this because it was a good interview, but I found this part particularly disgusting, even though I get it. So hang on, let me find that. Um, but. You know, it's a huge time thing, dude, to have multiple projects at once. So what is your process like? How does one video come to be? Yeah, so the number one, and I won't go on too long because it could go on forever, but the number one thing is picking a good topic. That's the number one thing. And yeah, as, as you know, like it's like you said the other day uh, on the Substack, you could write a Woj video, uh, uh, a Woj article every month and it would be great. You know what I mean? But you don't want to do that. You don't want to be that guy. Right. And so I know what the hits are, but I don't want to play the same hit all the time. So I have to look at, you know, my audience is the boss. So it's a balance between what do I like? What do I really want to talk about? And what do they also want to hear about? So I have to choose the right topic. And then before I write, I, I, uh, I create the title of the video before I even write the, the, uh, the script. And so the title has to, number one, elicit curiosity. That's the number one thing it must do every time. That's the primary emotion is curiosity. And then there are two secondary emotions that it can elicit, either fear or desire. Here's an example. Do you remember when Damian Lillard uh, IG'd the Photoshop of him and Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know what's weird is that in the blur of everything, it doesn't matter. I'm not sure I remember. Hold that, on. Yes. Okay, forget that. Forget <laughs> it. So here's the point: Damian Lillard tweeted or whatever a photo of him and KD in a uh, Blazers uniforms. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought it was a slow news day, and I thought I could write my title as Kevin Durant Blazers trade rumors or something. Okay, that would get some views, blah, blah, blah. But I just worked at it for 30, 45 minutes until I got the title, Steph Curry's Biggest Nightmare is Coming True. Mm. Because that elicited curiosity, it elicited fear, it also elicited desire, which was, I want to know what the inside scoop is, I want to know what's going on, and also choosing the right topic. If I can frame anything through Steph Curry, I should do it to be honest. Um, and so once I landed on that, that, uh, title that would, that would direct my entire script. So now with my script, I have to pay off what that title is. But if I don't come up with a great title and thumbnail first, what am I writing in the script? I'm going to write a script and try to fit a title and thumbnail to it. And it may not be that great, 
So if I can do that first in my process, dude, it's, it's like, uh, can't, I don't have a good analogy, but it's like money. No, I like this. I, I like this perspective. I need to rise to the level of my teaser. Like my teaser, my teaser is up here. There's this term called the adaptive valley, bridging the adaptive valley, that there are people who advance more more easily in organizations, frankly, because they commit an act of dishonesty, which is they'll be asked if they can do something and they go, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I can do it. And then they go, there's a population of people who will not be able to pull it off and maybe they'll be fired. But then there is a population of people who somehow they, they pull all nighters, they bang their head against the wall. They pull off the thing. They do what they said they would, they, they, they promised and uh, they become CEO and they clear the adaptive Valley. And mm. I, maybe it's like that. If you come up with a teaser for yourself and the beauty of what we do is we don't actually have to put it out there if at the end of it all we go, we didn't we didn't clear the adaptive valley. We're we're Homer Simpson in that episode where uh, he falls into the chasm and bounces and and hurts himself. We don't have to put that out there. But I like the perspective of okay, I've got the teaser in mind. How do I validate that teaser? Now to another thing that you're saying, it evokes this metaphor to me. Uh, I'm I'm trying to get on my my Colin Cowherd and come up with a good metaphor. Uh, the audience is the boss, but they're a, a funny kind of boss because it's almost like there's somebody who visits your restaurant every day and maybe they have their favorite menu item. And this is a weird restaurant right here. It's a restaurant where we choose what to feed them. They visit the restaurant every day and we choose what to feed them. Now, we know we know that they love a Philly cheesesteak. We know that they love it. They're into it. But we also know something else, which is that if we give them the Philly cheesesteak every day, they're going to get sick of the Philly cheesesteak. They're not going to want to come in anymore. So that's the whole balance. It's I need to engage you with some other things that you would be into that are of high quality. And then, oh, my God, Philly cheesesteak day rolled around. It's Philly cheesesteak day. Now they're stoked. Now they're excited. I think that's that's the balance we're trying to achieve of what we do. That is such a perfect analogy. That, that's that's right on. Um, and so once I come up with that headline or whatever, then I begin to write and, you know, I write the hook with the headline in mind, the title in mind, I have to keep them until the end. I mean, I don't know. I would be fascinated to know what your writing process is like, but mine is like, I have to start. And in the first paragraph, I have to have them in their mind asking why I have to have them really interested and they're, and they're asking themselves, what, what, why, why? <laughs> and they need to know, they need to know. And then I te- and then I, I, I do what are, what I call micro cliffhangers throughout. Yeah. And the big one is at the end. Right. And so I'm trying to get them to stay to the end. And uh, like the other day with the Kevin Durant nets, you know, fake trade stuff uh, that I ripped off house of shows that one uh, with that one i had to start it off by saying like you know the last 15 years except for lamarcus aldridge every single star who demands a trade gets it you know except for kevin durant oh god i wish i'd framed it that way so that goes on more and more i probably it's probably kind of a long clip but basically the point is and maybe this guy has a great channel there's a million basketball channels but we have a guy who didn't follow sports 
through high school, gets into sports, and then decides basically to run. Maybe it's really interesting, but basically just to, just to rock fake news, right? Like I, I thought, kind of on some level, the whole point of the internet was like let's say you got like what would be a crazy like like let's say i would much rather prefer for me something that's objectively nonsense like iverson is the best basketball player of all time or like i I would much rather have people make crazy statements like that from a place of honesty and to express kind of their truth through their experiences and make a unmakeable argument strong or whatever whatever that's probably a bad example but i just want people to be honest like like everybody wants to be like the new york post nobody wants to be the new york times everybody wants to be the inquirer and so this guy like goes on to describe well i come with, basically i'm searching for a hook i think for i think of a hook and then i make the hook as misleading as possible so people will click on it and then I got one dude in Thailand who, who edits it for me. And then while the dude in Thailand or wherever is doing it, then the other guy in Bali or wherever does this thing. And we put it together. He works on a thumbnail or whatever. And, like, that's that's their business model. And you wonder why, like, all the takes everywhere are just as dumb as ESPN. Because this is, like, a dumber model than ESPN. Just people saying stuff they don't believe at all. Like, intentionally, Right? Now, if you just, I don't know, I feel like I'm going on a lot about this. So what I'm going to do right now is play as it's currently constructed the first three minutes of my new project, Basketball is Beautiful, uh, chapter one. This is kind of the preamble, so this would probably apply to a lot of the different kind of chapters, but um, check it out. Basketball is beautiful. I'm starting to hate everyone in the 90s. That played basketball, that whole group. Every 10 years, the game changed. Yeah, that's what I They have no idea about evolution. Bob Cousy couldn't dribble with his left hand. Bob Cousy changed the game. The eye test says it's LeBron. He's bigger, stronger, and faster in a tougher era. Kareem is not chasing me up around right. the court. I just think people are being dishonest. Lambeer was only 245 pounds. And like yeah, Rick Mahomes true. was 250. When Memphis had Zebo and Gasol, you're talking about just bigger, stronger, People. These 90s players is delusional. Oh, remember, yeah, they remember it a certain way. Oh, it's just factual that James Harden is a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Based now. on the map. Bob, Bob Cousy won championships when there were eight teams in the Guys. NBA and you had to win two playoff series. You also had 29 assists in an NBA game. Oh, well, you know, he was being guarded yeah, yeah. by plumbers and firemen. We've been tolerating an ignorant debate for far too long. The history of the game of basketball and the players who laid the foundations for everything that we enjoy now have been routinely disrespected by grifters looking to kickstart their media careers, prop up their analytical models, ingratiate themselves to modern players for access, or maybe just troll. Anyway, the purpose of this series is not to shut down debate. Basketball is about debate. To love ball is to care so much about something that's unprovable and ultimately unknowable that you want to drive to Temecula just to settle things. We're going to keep debating. What we'd like to do is have a smarter debate, a debate that makes sense to everyone and at least has some degree of internal logic without getting bogged down with what Nick Wright or LeBron's The Goat 420 or Russian Bots or Gilbert Arenas has to say. They're not acting in good faith. 
And of course, it has to be said, there's a whole other side to the conversation that we could get into right now, but everyone knows the other competing narrative, including such brilliant insights as modern players are soft, LeBron couldn't cope with the physicality of the 80s, Rasheed Wallace is better than Giannis, and a million other things. So, end of the day, for both sides, you've got to do better. We don't need to do it like this. So, that's kind of what I've been tinkering with for a little bit, kind of playing around with it in my head. What I'd like to build to, so I want this at least to be as good as Uniforms Trilogy, which is probably the best thing I've ever done. So many choices, right? But that's probably the best thing I've done. And it's, I want something that is as snappy and as kind of tied to music or, or, or there'll be some musical breaks, but just, I, I want some, I'm going to work it out until it's kind of perfect, which is why I kind of didn't want the podcast to be like me working out my stand up or whatever. Plus keeping it real, I just don't have that much time. Uh, but I want to, I'm going to do at least three chapters. Um, chapter one is going to be kind of about the dunk and athlete, uh, basically a reconciliation of this kind of generational divide that people that just gets dumber and dumber every year. People talking about what players couldn't play in what era. Meanwhile, like 43-year-old Jason Terry and Ginobili are still playing into their 40s. And like, again, I don't, I don't even want to get into all that. But like the dumbest debate, like Luke is one of the top three player in the league. Like I, I could block his shot if I could get to it, but I can't get to it. So that's why he's great. So there's this whole thing about that. So chapter one, I want to talk a little bit about athleticism and the dunk and why it's awesome but a little bit overrated i think chapter two is going to be more about kind of the history of the game again it sounds really dry when i put it like that just just about kind of the obstacles that other kind of players have when comparing errors because the whole point of this is that comparing errors is stupid and you should compare all errors just with a lot of respect and um chapter three i forget what chapter three is so at some point, I mean, whatever comes up will come up. I mean, I think humbly, and I say this with all humility, I could make the best Jordan is better than LeBron video that anyone on the planet could make. I'm sure that'll come at some point in the distant future. But like, so I just want this to kind of be a prestige thing where every once in a while I really rip something off that 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 is like really dope. And so for all of y'all, I'm really, really going to need you to retweet it, then watch it, then share it with somebody else, then retweet it again. That's what I'm going to need to make this thing just get a little bit of traction, but I'm going to be using up all my favorites to kind of, and I think it's going to be good, like I said, but that's, that's what I've been kind of playing with. And I know this is self-indulgent and it's a whole big thing, but basically, hey, that's what I've been working on. I did have one question. Steve Pelishek at Steve Pelly sent a long question. This is the man. This is the twenty seventh of July. What was this? Oh, I was looking at something else. Eight twenty nine. So not that long ago. This is in regards to the ten and a half, eleven reasons for Giannis thing. The Gilbert Arenas one. So that was the last part, I think. Right. So he says, I know I've used the words not an American before in my admittedly emotional rebuttals to Giannis' shade of the viral variety. 
However, I don't think anyone is accusing any USA-born clowns of loving America too much. My slant definitely involves your reason number 10. And how, to use your words, Giannis doesn't play the game behind the game the same way as these other American guys. Indeed, it's definitely cliche at this point to say, but it's still true. While several of today's American superstars were rising through AAU and prospect rankings and establishing fancier connections, Giannis was, yup, selling trinkets on the mean streets of Sepolia. Is that how you say that? I think for better or worse, blue-collar Joe Schmoes from Milwaukee will eternally resonate with that and feel the need to rush to his defense, not that he needs it. I really do think when people say Giannis gets hate because he's not American, we are just failing to elaborate, and more often than not, we are merely implying the roots and behind-the-scenes stuff you briefly brought out in your reason. And then he says the AAU grind. The off-season work, the lack of off-season workouts with fellow superstars. Giannis usually wears athletic pants, not leopard print corduroys. For all that we know, Giannis hasn't befriended Jay-Z yet. He's got to get on that. My, finally, my final summary, Steve Pelichek says, is all of the perceived anti-foreigner bias could be limped into, lumped into your reason number one, which is envy. After all, it's just unspeakably dumbfounding how a rail-thin, fake, humble freak like this could build himself up to a level that even hints at threatening LeBron. And then he adds an exclamation mark. You're absolutely correct. It's jealousy. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's pretty fair analysis. I don't know that that... I pretty much agree with all of that. Um, by the way, Steve Pelly. Steve Pelly Pell is moving up the... Might be like a top five secret supporter of the show at this point. Well, who would be the top five? You're getting up there. I'm, uh, who... M.K.E. Robert, um, Derek Ledoux. Why would I open my mouth? I'm just going to start forgetting people. Um, my guy, Joel, um, Riley. It, you, you're kind of getting up there, man. I really appreciate kind of the feedback. We also <laughs> were talking the other night about, I don't <laughs> did anybody see the Peter Bessie, that's got to be Paul Pressy 25 on Twitter and Real GM uh, was so mad at the Eatons for the whole birthday tweet thing with Bob Lanier that he clearly, like, direct messaged Peter Vesey, I guess. Uh, like, it has to be. He was complaining about it two days before, and I just, like, I know that guy just a little bit. And then Peter Vesey, like, it's the craziest thing about 2022 that Peter Vesey, who, like, if it was halftime and it was, like, Bulls Knicks on, on the Sunday, and Peter Vesey was going to, like, talk about some trade rumors for the offseason or something like that, you would listen to it. Peter Bessie, by the way, also a guy who has made himself unfollowable on Twitter because all he does is post, like, save this dog or this dog will die Saturday if somebody doesn't adopt it. And, like, don't be that. I, I'm pretty sure that's Peter Vesey. Maybe it's Bill Walton. But I think it's Peter Vesey. Like, I, you just can't follow him for that reason. Like, unless you're into that. <laughs> but, like, but now just some random buck season ticket holder or, like, whoever Paul Pressy 25, like, actually is, like, is getting information from just, like, some dude who couldn't get me unsuspended at Real GM. So, what a world. Uh, yeah. I, will there be a Basketball is Beautiful chapter on the Giannis thing? Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, if it, if it goes well and it goes long enough. I mean, the Giannis thing is, 
continues to be stupid. And the high follower Bucks accounts continue to just kind of engage in this cold war. And again, people like people can do absolutely whatever they want. But I was actually thinking about this. Like, so Lamar Jackson, right? We can agree. Great quarterback, not an accurate quarterback, great athlete, all that kind of stuff. We can agree on that without getting into the landmines of why some people want to get offended by that. Like, he's not accurate. Like, I saw him at the quarterback. They did, like, the quarterback thing at the Pro Bowl. Like, he couldn't hit any of the targets, right? He's not Drew Brees. It's fine. He's just, he's just not accurate. But, like, week one, he, like, uncorks this big bomb, and, like, people are like, oh, so he's not accurate? And it's like, like, throwing a 50-yard a bomb does not mean that you're accurate. Like, and, and I feel like that's the nature of this Giannis conversation, too. Like, throughout Eurobasket or Eurobucket or whatever they call that. And then it's like he does, like, his his dark fadeaway on people. Like, no jumper, huh? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no jumper. Yes, no jumper. But, but, like, again, I understand the game. It's funny. I don't think that's a pending chapter. But, yeah, and it is envy. It is envy. It is envy. And again the he got ejected that one game i haven't watched a second of this i've seen the 10 clips on twitter that everybody else has him and thanasis are a little dirty they're a little dirty you're an international competition too so i like probably reason 12 should be do i want to get into this no the chase down blocks are awesome there is sort of an implied on the worst of them, and certainly when Thanasis does it, and like ride, there's something super dangerous about riding somebody like a like a bucking bronco at a rodeo from behind. There should be some implied ownership to that space, and I always am cringing for everyone when he chases somebody down for that reason because I'm scared he's going to get hurt, and I'm scared he's going to just. I mean, we saw Bogut right. As much as I'm the guy who thinks the fetishization of people's ankles in this league is the most ridiculous thing, like, oh, somebody could have turned their ankle. Like, no one, who cares? I don't care anything about anyone's ankles. We should not care about people's ankles. If they get decapitated in midair by like a 7 1 guy running full speed and just like stealing your airspace as you elevate, a eh, little bit more dangerous, right? But even with that, nobody tends to get hurt. So whatever but yeah man thank you for that question so i'm not going to talk about adam adam silver and the sun's guy ever maybe at some point we'll come back i do i had all these the donaghy the relitigation of the donaghy stuff has also been really interesting uh but we'll leave it right there um for now zip it up zip it out
said, take your home and make you my loving wife. So we can always be together. Oh, ain't that nice? Any man would be proud to know Can a woman have a man bragging Everywhere he goes Oh, I feel real proud. 